welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and we have a couple programming notes for today. Uh, first, I apologize for the lack of frequency that I put up this podcast. I'm going to try to make it once a week for the rest of the season. And if I don't, please berate me in the Eclipse Nation's comment section on the Eclipse Nation Twitter feed or my personal Twitter feeds, Sabrina JM, because I need the acknowledgement. Um, also, we're going to be doing a weekly show on the Locker Room app if you have an iOS device. Uh, it's basically like a live chat room where we just are going to talk about all things Clippers, and you can see the timings for those on the Clips Nation site. So be on the lookout for those. But first, uh, I have a special guest today to talk about the first half of the Clippers season, and that is Garrett Corpening from Sports Illustrated. Garrett, how you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing great. I love the all-star break. It's just a wonderful time to decompress. And it's kind of nice that it's exactly in the middle of the season this year, but uh, I realize that's not a sustainable pattern going forward. But anyway, <laughs> did you watch the all-star game, Garrett? I did. Um, I thought it was very entertaining. I agree. Uh, I do not think Kawhi Leonard felt the same way. No. Um, but, uh, you <laughs> know, not. I was, uh, I was uh, fooled by last year's performance into thinking that Kawhi Leonard was uh, taking this game seriously again. And that was not the case. Uh, my man did not step inside the three-point line more than like two times on offense the entire entire game, but that's okay. Uh, no one, no one needs another All-Star MVP trophy, right? He's got the one. <laughs> right? Yeah. At least Paul George looked good. Like Paul George did look good. That was nice. Yes, uh, Paul George is like built for an All-Star game. When I think about the the archetype of player that I want for an All-Star game, I want someone who can make awesome dunks and who's an excellent three-point shooter, and Paul George does both of those things. I, I believe he's actually competed in the dunk contest twice before. He's never won, but he really seems like the kind of player who could do both. Uh, my guess is that Zach Levine is going to be the first to do both because he's already got one under his belt, um, and he's got like the three-point jitters out of his head now that he's done the contest once. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm rooting for one of these days is for somebody to be the dual three-point dunk contest champion. Obviously not in one year because that's just a lot of effort on the legs, Right. But eventually, you know, over the course of time to do both. I will say, I think the highlight of the like skills events and that kind of stuff was definitely that final round between Mike Conley and Steph Curry. Um, the way that ended with Steph hitting like, you know, the, like, the game winning shot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just so much fun, man. It was such a great time to watch that. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us generally expected Steph to win just because the caliber of shooter he is relative to the rest of the guys in the field. No, no disrespect to the guys in the field. It's just, he is the greatest shooter of all time, in my opinion. And for him to have to like actually bring it against Mike Conley, like what a, what an all-star debut for a one-time Clippers nemesis, Mike Conley could be another Clippers nemesis actually, if the season, you know, plays out a certain way, but yeah, let's get to that. Uh, the Clippers are 24 and 14 at what is essentially the midway point of the season. They have 34 games left. They've played 38. Uh, they rank, I'm going to use cleaning the glasses numbers. They rank third in the league in offense and 21st in the league in defense, which is lower than I expected. That's a little bit lower than NBA.com's number, but I guess, cause it uh, filters out the garbage time. Uh, but you know, they're fourth in the West, which is fourth in the league in terms of record at this point. Uh, they've had a lot of things go well for them. Some things, you know, some high profile missteps, I would say (laughs) for the Clippers thus far too, but we're going to start on the positive side. I'm just going to allow this up to you, Garrett. What is one thing that has stood out to you from the first part of the season that has gone well for this Clippers team? Well, to call back to something we talked about on our last podcast, um, I think my big takeaway is how wrong I was about Terrence Mann. (laughs) Uh, and just how great he's looked this season. Um, I know we talked about it last time. You were a lot higher on Terrence um, to begin the season than I was. Um, I was thinking he'd be more end of the bench guy, like play here and there. Um, but he's been a legit like rotation piece lately to the point where he's playing over guys like Luke Kennard. Um, I think in the last 16 games, he's averaging close to 21 minutes a game. Um, he's making a positive impact on both ends of the floor, which was something that um, I was especially critical of to begin the season. Um, I know my big thing I had against him back then was um, just like his lack of a three-point shot uh, and his ability to, uh, I guess, produce on offense um, beyond some of those like athletic plays, the rim and that kind of stuff. And uh, the sample size, I think, is still too small to really say that he's fully developed that shot. I don't think he's there yet, Um, but he is shooting, I think, 38% this season um, on almost twice as many attempts as he took last year. And he was shooting 34 or 35 last season. Um, so it's, it's a marginal increase, but I, I'm liking what I've seen so far from him. 
Um, and I think it's gotten to a point now where we could talk about him being someone that might even edge into the playoff rotation, maybe be one at the, you know, at least the very end, like eighth, ninth guy, whatever it might be. Um, but he's, he's definitely been, you know, one of the more positive, I think, parts of this uh, first half of the season so far for me. Yeah. So before I get deeper into Terrence, I have a question. Um, would you put him or Reggie Jackson ahead of your, I mean, as the ninth man in that projected playoff rotation? Um, I think it might be a situational thing. I could okay. see them both being there. Um, I mean, if you need more ball movement, you need someone to be, um, I guess more like if you need like more pace, right. I would go with Reggie because he's one person that is especially good at getting the ball on the floor. Um, but if you need that extra wing, uh, that can do a little bit of everything. I go with Terrence. Yeah, I think I'm with you in that situational thing. I'd probably lean towards Reggie just mm-hmm. on balance because I think the Clippers are going to want more spacing on the floor, which Reggie is just an excellent catch and shoot player. Right. Um, like you said, he gets the ball up the floor, which the Clippers do not do as just like as a team-wide decision. They do not move the ball with pace. Reggie is the only one who seems to be rejecting that premise. But yeah, Terrence... Uh, I remember you were uh, almost talking me down a little bit the last time we were speaking about Terrence. I was saying, I, I can see the outlines of a competent role player. And you're like, I don't think we're there yet. And I was like, maybe I'm getting a little too bad. <laughs> apparently, apparently I was on something. Uh, yeah. What I love about Terrence is that, like you mentioned that he's shooting 38% on threes, which again, the, the volume is so small that I don't know if there's anything to be said about that. Right. But he makes himself useful even when he's not shooting, right? Like he, he will take the open shot if it is available, but most of the time he's trying to prevent himself from being in that position altogether. Right. So he makes those cuts. He and Zubach have this really nice chemistry going where uh, Zubach will get the ball like off of a short roll and just dump it off to Terrence, like on a baseline cut. And that's led to a couple nice highlights. He rebounds the ball really well on the offensive end. Like he just crashes in there, like a younger version of Patrick Beverly, you know, um, who I have to imagine is his inspiration in these situations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think Terrence honestly gets like a little too much love defensively because he's still a little foul prone, you know, when mm-hmm. he gets the tougher assignments on that under the floor and he's not quite as strong as you would want him to be to defend like the wing type players, which is his nominal position at this point. Now that he's no longer a point guard, thank goodness we've moved beyond that portion of his uh, evolution. But I, I honestly like a lot what he, a lot of what he does on the offensive end, he just mm-hmm. is constantly active, which the Clippers can get uh, a little stagnant at some points. And he just provides this like instant infusion of energy when he comes off of the bench, which is really great. And he's just a lot of fun to watch, you know, like he's just uh, the Clippers, honestly, like they haven't done very well with their draft picks in recent years. Uh, Shea is a notable exception, but he only spent one year on the Clippers. So it's, it's kind of refreshing just to have a guy who was a homegrown talent, right? Like he starred on the summer league team. He did really well. He, made everyone think that he was going to be a rotation player and it didn't quite work in year one, but at least he spent more of the year with the Clippers than in the G league. Uh, he's had some nice moments throughout the year. He's just gotten better and better. And I really think it's kind of a testament to that player development that they were just talking about over and over and over again during the off season. Like I can't even count the number of times that Ty Lue and Lawrence Frank said the word player development during their opening press conference. And Ty Lue just brings it up unprompted every day. And um, I've been, on a lot of the the G League press conferences, you know, uh, since they just had their bubble season and like they're always talking about the work Kenny Atkinson and everybody else has been doing at the NBA level to get these guys ready. So, I mean, I don't I don't think it was just a bunch of like bluff, right? Like they weren't just saying things to say sound good about player development. It actually seems like there's a real emphasis, you know, at least on one of the guys they drafted in 2019 about getting him better and <laughs> making sure that like they try to build at least somewhat through the limited draft picks that they have. And there's going to be a lot of second rounders coming the Clippers way over the next few years. So Terrence Mann is a good template for what that could be going forward. Like just solid singles guys who can be a rotation player. Like it's not a bad thing, right? Right. Yeah. And you know, maybe they should just focus on guards and wings, like you said, because obviously fee is not working out, but no. even Amir coffee to a lesser degree, I think is like really solid this year at times. He had that one game when I think when he made like five threes, which mm-hmm. was insane, just out of nowhere. Um, yeah, but to go back to Terrence just for a second too, um, one of the bigger issues I had with him on offense last year was, uh, I think there were some times in the bubble where like his awareness of what was going on on that end wasn't really, I thought like up to par, like there were a couple of shot clock violations or like, he didn't always know, you know, what the next pass was going to be or how mm-hmm. to contribute to the next play. Um, but even, even that, like you said, like his energy and the way he's been, um, I think more active and aware on that end of the floor 
has been such a big thing for me too, to see like, he looks like a much more complete and competent player on that end. Yeah. And maybe all of that hype coming in to his rookie season kind of did him a disservice because we expected so much out of him. Like I know, Mm. you know, Johan just kept saying like, this is a guy who's going to compete for backup point guard minutes. And he was just not ready for that. And it's totally reasonable for a rookie to not be ready to be a point guard for a contending NBA offense. And he's just made solid progressions in every single part of his game over the last year. Like I can't think of a single thing that he's worse at than he was a year ago, which is awesome. Um, Usually like people take strides in one part of their game and it sort of results in like a a backtrack elsewhere, but that hasn't been the case with Terrence. He's just continuously improving. And I mean, obviously that's not going to happen for the rest of his career, but it's a nice start to that development arc. And I mean, I've, I've had a personal stake in parents, you know, for the last two months, ever since we had this conversation. Uh, so I'm not going to lie that it's been uh, more satisfying to watch him get better, but it's also just really good on balance for the Clippers team to have a little bit of young talent because I'm not sure if we're gonna talk about it today, but like if they want to make any trades down the line, I'm not saying that they should trade Terrence, but he is actually a piece of value at this point, right? which right, definitely. is not something that I would have necessarily said a little while ago. Mm-hmm. No doubt. All right. Uh, Let's try this again. Uh, you like what Terrence has done so far this first half of the season. What else has stood out to you on a positive side? Um, the offense. How different the offense looks from this season to last season. Um, I mean, the system, the passing, the shooting, um, the way everyone has bought in to the whole grand scheme of how it's going to work. Um, I've just been blown away by how efficient this team has been on that end of the floor. It's been fantastic. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know how long it's been since I checked it, but I know at one point, um, pretty recently they had, I think six or seven guys shooting above 40% from three, which is absurd. And I think they're still the number one shooting team from three in, in, in the league. Um, I almost wish they would shoot more threes. Mm-hmm. I, I know that that efficiency, that, that rate they hit at would drip, would dip a little bit if they, um, did take more threes, but the fact that so many are wide open and the fact that they're moving the ball so much to get these wide open looks from guys they know can hit them. And um, they're putting confidence in guys to take those shots. Um, the offense is, is totally blown me away. Yeah. So currently the Clippers have six guys shooting 40% or above uh, a seventh. If you count Amir coffee, which I'm not going to, because he's not technically a part of the rotation. And then Lou Williams is right there at 39.8. So it's a go. lot of guys shooting really, really well on threes. And I'm with you. I mean, the volume of three-pointers has gone up since last year, which is great. Um, You know, Doc Rivers teams generally just don't shoot as many threes uh, for whatever reason. It's also the case in Philadelphia now, which is kind of surprising considering that's a Daryl Morey group. But, uh, you know, that's just a a Doc Rivers thing. They don't like shooting as many threes. Ty Lue has expanded on that. But it's still not to like a Utah level, right, where I think this Clipper team could be frankly explosive on offense even mm-hmm. more so than they already are if they just took like three or four three-pointers more a game because you know you're gonna make like one and a half of those right and that's just another another three some points in the bank uh i don't think that there's like what's interesting is that i'm not sure like where those extra threes are going to come from because mm-hmm. it's not like you know they're taking a ton of mid-rangers like i know that that's where uh Kawhi Leonard feels most effective and like Lou Williams obviously likes to get his work done in the mid range, but I'm not sure that I would want to trade those shots for more threes, you know, because like, that's mm-hmm. what Lou Williams does. He creates action like around the paint, which sometimes ends in the mid range when he like floats into his jump shot. And then when Kawhi's posting up, like he's close to the basket, but it's not technically in the paint. So those are mid range shots and like, they're just so efficient in those areas or, at least like Lou Williams, like that's how he creates is by working in those areas. So it's hard to say that you would want the Clippers to stop taking those mid-rangers in favor of threes. Uh, And then it's not like they're taking a ton of shots at the rim either. So it's, I'm just curious, like where, where those threes are going to come from, if you've thought about that. Right. Um, I haven't, but I think you make a good point with, with more shots coming at the rim. I'd rather see that than, than more threes, I think, because that's been a big point of emphasis to know for Ty Lue. Um, brings it up almost every game now it says we want to get more into paint we want to uh, have more paint attacks and almost after every game we go in there and we say okay Ty, you had this many points in the paint tonight which was yeah. you know, so and so more than last game but you know how do you, you know, is this what you want to see more of and he's like yeah i want some more of this and still not enough and um i think that's been 
maybe one of the bigger issues with the offense is that there hasn't been a whole lot of aggression in that fan area. Um, I know they're one of the, uh, they take like the third or fourth fewest free throws in the seat in the, in the league this year. Uh, I think that's something they really want to improve on in the second half. Um, but I also don't want to be like too big picture about some of these things, because I know Ty has said too, that um, a lot of the offense just isn't installed yet. Like I think you said 25, 30% of the offense we've seen so far um, or you know, what we've seen so far is 25, 30% of the offense. So there's so much more to add in um, after this break and before the playoffs um, that, you know, maybe we're looking a little too hard on things that might not be, you know, as important a little bit later on, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's really impressive that, you know, to think that only 25 to 30% of the offense has been installed and they're already third in the league um, right. with an offensive rating that would be the best in NBA history, if not for the two teams in front of them who are also outpacing the best offense in league history. And like, I mean, if you're shooting 42% on threes, like maybe there's a, a, a good volume that you've hit, you know, <laughs> like maybe there's a reason why that uh, percentage is being achieved because of the types of shots they're creating. But I'm with you. I mean, uh, it's just, it's more fun to watch the Clippers go to work on offense. Like all of those possessions where they swing the ball around and like, you know, it ends up from like a pretty good three to a wide open three, especially the ones mm-hmm. that they create in the corners. Uh, I think a lot of that comes down to the, passing reads that Serge Ibaka and Ivica Zubac are able to make, you know, out of the pick and roll. That has been tremendously surprising to me because I, I love Zubac. I've never really thought of him much as a passer. Like I've always thought his hands were kind of the weakest part of his game, which is a weird thing to say when like literally holding the ball is like a big part (laughs) of what makes an NBA player, but his, his ability to, you know, just read the floor quickly and have his head on a swivel has been remarkable. And you know, I, I credit the bigs a lot for being able to, you know, generate those three point looks for the rest of their teammates. And, and then Serge obviously just takes plenty on his own. He's the only guy who I would say, just take more than Serge. Like he's the guy where any shot you take, I want it to be outside of the three point arc from this point going forward. I don't even care if it's right at the rim, just all threes. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the aesthetics of the Clippers offense, I think are really appealing this year. You know, it's, uh, it's just a beautiful game to watch. Like, uh, Lou, even Lou Williams's ISO game like seems to work better when there's all that spacing around the floor and they're just doing a great job of like, even when teams close out on them, they attack and then, you know, drive and kick again, or there's just a lot of variability to their offensive sets. And that's something that I think was missing a year ago, not to say that their offense wasn't completely effective a year ago, because obviously it was among the best in the league. It just looked a little different. It was a little more isolation heavy. And this one I think is just more pleasing to watch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the surge thing has been such a big thing for me too. Every time he pumps out of one of those threes and goes into like double coverage in the paint, I'm just like, dude, just just put it up. You know, like you're a great shooter. I think he's one of the guys shooting 40. And if not, he's like 37, 38. Like he's up there. You know what I mean? He's a great three-point shooter, especially above the break. Like, please take more of those shots. Yeah, and just his uh, ability to space himself out on the floor creates more opportunities for the guys to drive into the lane. Like I, I wonder if part of the reason that you know, the Clippers um, volume of shots in the paint has gone down is because Serge has spent more time in the paint, just like, which, you know, clogs it up for the rest of the guys. Uh, So if he takes more threes, then like just, it makes it easier for everybody else to do what they want to do on offense, which I think is the ideal outcome because I don't think Ty Luce started Serge Ibaka over Vita Zubac because he he thought he was more effective in the paint. Like that's not the reason why Ibaka is in the starting lineup. He's in the starting lineup to pop and to provide space. So he needs to keep doing that. But again, this was supposed to be the positive part of the podcast. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I, I enabled it. I couldn't help myself. Okay. So we've talked offense, talked Terrence Mann. Is there anything else that really stands out to you as, wow, this has been great for the Clippers in the first part of the season? Um, the adjustments, the fact okay. that they've been so good in the third quarter. Uh, again, it's, it's more of a difference from Dr. Ty, just his night and day with um, the changes they've made at halftime and come out and have, you know, more frequently been the team with the first punch in the third quarter. And, um, you know, that used to be the quarter we worried about. We'd go into the half with the lead and, you know, be up 15, 14 at some point in the third. And then not just even in the playoffs last season, but at times just with Doc over the past several years, the third quarter has been the one where, um, those leads are usually lost or the Clippers kind of suffer the most. So um, to see those changes be made and to see them turn things around and, and 
have the second half be their strongest half, I think has been really a positive thing too. Yeah. And to me, it's not even so much just like the in-game adjustments. It's that Ty Lu has been proactive about seeking out different combinations that aren't just motivated by injuries. Mm-hmm. Like we saw a ton of lineups from the Clippers last year, but I think the majority of it was just because there weren't enough, like the desired players were not available, you know? So doc was sort of forced into these different configurations just by which guys were ready to play that day. And I think what we're seeing from time, obviously the Clippers have, you know, faced their fair share of injuries over the past couple of weeks. Like it's kind of come on a little bit stronger than I would have expected, but you know, after the first 10 games, like Ty said, okay, we're going to stop doing the Lou and Luke thing together because it's not working and we want to give Lou the space to create again. And then like another 10 games later, Luke is altogether out of the rotation. And we've got Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson occupying those minutes. And those are the kind of things that I'm not sure we would have seen in a different regime just because like, again, it wasn't injuries motivating those things, right? Like, uh, I guess we could discuss the fact like maybe Luke Kennard is still coming, like still coming to full strength after his knee procedures, you know, cost him all of that 2019, 20 season, but he's only set out the one game, right? Like it's not like he hasn't been available and there's been modifications of that perimeter rotation as the season goes on, which I think is just a really good way of using the regular season, right? Like, and it hasn't even just been like at the start of the season, you know, Luke Kennard was taking the PG Kawhi spot in the starting lineup when one of them had to sit right now. We've seen Reggie Jackson be that guy. Um, we also saw like Terrence Van get in the starting lineup, but then he comes off the bench sometimes or, you know, just all of these different options just to see what's going to work in the playoffs that experimentation to me is really exciting because uh, again, none of it feels like it was forced upon Tyra. He's just like, I want to know what this looks like. So let's give it a shot. Yeah. And, and there's no better time to experiment, especially when you know, you're going to be, um, you know, more, more likely than not, you're going to be one of those top teams in the West where you kind of have the freedom to experiment and figure those things out. Like why not figure those things out now where instead you get to the playoffs and you find out, Oh, this isn't working against this team. And, we didn't try anything else this season. So this is just, we have to do, you know what I mean? Like they're building really good habits right now and finding out what works best and what doesn't. And um, it's very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't want to say that there's nothing more positive that we could talk about, but I think this is a good time for a break and then we'll come back and uh, turn the sun inside a little bit. All right, we're back. I'm here with Garrett Corpening, Sports Illustrated. We're talking the Clippers first half of the season we just spent this first part talking about all the things that have gone very well for the Clippers over the first 38 games. And while I do think that there is more than 20 minutes to talk about, you know, the Clippers positives for a team that has won 24 games. Uh, this is after all, you know, a very uh, nervous fan base considering the way that the playoffs have gone the last few years. So I do think it's fair to take some time to talk about the things that have gone a little bit worse than expected. So Gary, if you want to start us off or I can, you tell me. Uh, let's have you start with these ones first. Okay. Uh, I know that this is like a very generic thing to say, but I am mildly concerned about the Clippers defense. And I guess I can focus that specifically on their pick and roll defense because that's been real bad. And that's the kind of thing that you can see, you know, being a problem if they play like Chris Paul in the playoffs or, you know, um, I'm not sure that Utah is as big of a deal, but like that two-man game between Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic comes to mind again, right? So they have such good defensive personnel. And I know that the Clippers defensive numbers are generally strong when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are on the court together. Um, A lot of this is just because their best defensive players have not been available for as long as we thought they were going to be right. Like Kawhi got hit in the face and then he had health and safety protocols and then back spasms knocked him out of a game. And then Paul George has missed like what seven or eight games in a row with that swollen toe. So it's, it's not like they've had their full complement of guys ready to go every time, but even when their best players are on the court, that sense of the Clippers being this like suffocating defensive presence, I just haven't felt it really at all this season. And I, I wouldn't expect that to be present all the time because again, this is a regular season. It's one where they're not getting very much practice. Um, It's one where defense is just generally been pretty bad across the league. Like the Lakers are the number one defense in the league. And that defensive rating would be like eighth or ninth last year. Uh, So it's, it's not like the Clippers are alone in this. (laughs) I mean, it's just been really bad 
uh, defensive ecosystem for every team because of like the short, shortened season and the shortened off season and all of these mitigating factors. But at the same time, like when I see the Clippers put out a lineup that includes like Paul, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, and like whatever two bigs, because all of them are good defensively, relatively speaking, there should be that sense of like, they're imposing something on the offense. And I don't feel that like there's, there's been like a couple sequences against the Utah jazz and that full strength game where I felt like, Oh, Utah can literally do nothing on the Clippers. But other than that, like I've just been a little underwhelmed by that overall effort. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say too, is my, my biggest complaint so far is um, the defense has definitely been disappointing. Uh, I think you made a good point, the pick and roll defense. I know that they give up a ton of points in the paint each night. Like that's been my biggest thing too, is they're giving up easy looks and not really stopping them. Um, but to that point too, I don't know if the personnel, at least with the bigs is, um, you know, the best equipped to handle that kind of attack. Um, I think zoo is definitely the better, you know, paint protector compared to surge. And, um, for all the credit, I want to give Nick Batum on offense. I do think he's been a little bit underwhelming defensively this season. Um, especially when guarding bigs or guarding uh, guards, sorry. Um, you know, we've seen, especially recently, a lot of teams will switch him onto one of their guards because they know he's, you know, one of the weaker links in the team um, defensively. Uh, and I feel like he's been a little slow with keeping up with guys like that. And, and there's not much you can do about that. I think he does a well enough job on forwards and, and defending guys in his position. But um, that is one thing where I feel like maybe there could be some improvement. Um, but I'm with you. Like, there are a lot of fantastic individual defenders on this team. And um, you would think that they would look more like a suffocating presence on that end of the floor, but we really haven't seen that this season. And um, to get a little bit into you know, the issues they've had in the clutch this season, I almost feel like the defense has been a bigger issue in those clutch moments, just because they're giving up so many points. Like, like, yeah, they can't score on their own. And I think, you know, that might work itself out as they kind of put more offense in and they work on getting less stagnant in those, those late game moments, but um, they haven't been able to do much at all to be able to stop teams on the other end of the floor in those clutch moments all either. Like um, that Milwaukee game, they were outscored, I think nine, nothing in the final four minutes and um, almost all of Milwaukee's points in that stretch came from either the three point line or the free throw line. Um, so they're giving up easy looks on that end and then fouling and giving them, you know, free points at the, at the stripe. Um, I've been a little bit more concerned with that than I have been with the offense, but um, yeah, overall the defense has been probably my biggest issue. Yeah. Let's get into that clutch time stuff because I know it's uh, at the top of everyone's uh, list at this point. Um, I've, I have a lot of mixed feelings about their clutch feelings, their clutch mm-hmm. situations, because, you know, the first year I started covering the Clippers was two years ago, the year that they um, advanced to or they only um, played the Golden State Warriors in the first round of the playoffs, right? And that team was incredible in the clutch, right? Like you give the ball to Lou Williams down the stretch and he was legitimately unstoppable. And that might sound like an overstatement, but they legitimately overperformed like their uh, win percentage like in that season by a significant margin because they were just so good in those situations. Like you think about, Williams shot against Milwaukee to beat them at home or like his shot against Brooklyn or just a whole bunch of situations where you felt so comfortable with him running the offense down the stretch and they just eked out just enough defensive like pressure at the other end to make things work and so I'm looking at this team and I'm thinking Kawhi Leonard has a series of hitting big shots where like they freaking like recreated the footsteps to his big shot in Toronto like when he went back to play there last season um Paul George should be one of the more unguardable guys. Like he can literally get a clean look off at three. Anytime he wants, you still have Lou Williams. Like why isn't this working as well as it should have? And I, I'm kind of at a loss because like even last year, this was a top 10 clutch team and it's largely the same personnel, arguably better personnel. Like, I mean, are we supposed to believe that Montrez Harrell was the reason that they were scoring in the clutch I, maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe they just like really miss that pick and roll attack. But I find that hard to believe because they still have Zubac who could theoretically run pick and rolls or, you know, even inverted pick and rolls with like uh, Lou and Kawhi or just a small and Paul George. Like it's, it's very strange to me that this set of personnel isn't working because it's so good for the first 43 minutes of the game, right? 
Um, so on the one hand, I just have like this general state of confusion because like, it doesn't make sense to me that they would be this bad. And I wonder if part of it is just like something hanging over their head of like, oh, we're the team that blows big leads. And like, I don't like to ascribe too much to narrative situations, but with the Clippers, you kind of have to, there's just like a lot of baggage surrounding, not just like the franchise, but like this particular team. And I, I don't want to like make that a bigger deal than it needs to be because I do believe that these players don't give a shit about the fact that they lost, you know, a bunch of leads last year or that they're the Clippers. Like they believe that they are capable of beating any team in the league, no matter what the situation is in the final five minutes of the game. But there's something there that I can't quite put my finger on. And that's why I, I hate that I'm doing this, but I'm like resorting to these nebulous like narrative things because again, it doesn't make sense that Paul George is breaking every single three he takes in the clutch. He's shooting 45% on threes for the season why would he be going like oh for 11 in all of these fourth quarters like it's not that he's afraid at the moment i don't think uh so i i'm a little i'm struggling to figure out what's going on here and maybe like you said it's just a fact that the clippers have only installed 25 to 30 percent of their offensive package and like once they actually get all of those sets worked out like they'll have some crunch time atos to go to that makes sense uh depending on the situation like you brought up the milwaukee game they had a great play at the end of the game that Giannis drew holiday pick and roll that led to our Giannis drew holiday dribble handoff that led, you know, that to the ball swinging all the way around the horn. And then Giannis just uncontested in for a dunk and um, like nothing about the Clippers looks easy during crunch time, which is weird because it all flows and moves so beautifully during the other parts of the game. So I realize that's a lot of ways to say nothing, but it's, it's all to say that like, I don't think that the Clippers are deficient in the clutch, like structurally. I just think that for whatever reason, it's like kind of in their head that they're a bad crunch time team. And they just need like one, one wind sort of like get the monkey off their back and realize like, Oh, we're, we're actually very good players. We have like the most talented isolation player in the league. We should be able to get good shots whenever we want to. It's just been a bad stretch. That's the way I think it's going to happen. Right. I'm with you. I think it's, I think it's going to sort itself out in the second half of the season and it's not going to be a big concern anymore. Um, but I do wonder if any of it has to do with um, urgency, I think on the offensive end, I know Paul George has talked about how they, uh, he felt like they got into their sets a little bit later than they wanted to in that Milwaukee game, especially um, where they'd start getting going on things. And there was like 12 seconds left in the shot clock and they didn't really have much time to get the shot they wanted to get. Um, so maybe it's, you know, playing with a little more pace down the stretch. Maybe it's, it's something like that. Um, but I, I'm just as confused about it as you are. Like, um, I mean, you think about it, and this should be a team that excels in the clutch. And for whatever reason, that hasn't been the case so far. Um, so, yeah, you know, hopefully it gets figured out in the second half. I, I feel confident that it will. Um, but it is one of those weird head-scratcher things so far that's just kind of weird about this team. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about the pace that they just they put themselves in these unnecessarily difficult situations by bringing mm-hmm. the ball up so slowly and not taking advantage of early offense. And that, I think, is a little bit more structural because mm-hmm. Kawhi and Paul George are just a little bit more methodical in the half court. Right. And Patrick Beverly, for all of his gifts as the lead guard, is not a guy who's just going to push the ball down your throat. I wonder if having Reggie on the floor in those situations right, yeah. would help more. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Uh, which is just a remarkable consideration to make uh, considering where we were <laughs> with Reggie Jackson at this time last year. Yeah. But, hey, he's, uh, he's done what he's been asked to do. All right. Uh, so we kind of covered defense clutch time issues. Um, is there anything else that sticks out to you that we should discuss regarding the Clippers troubles um, over the first half? I mean, not to the point of it being, as big an issue as the defense. I, I think anything else we have is probably going to be a little bit more nitpicky. Mm-hmm. It might not be as big of a concern. Um, I touched on the search thing earlier. We both did with how we want him to take more threes and, you know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Like I, there are bigger things to be concerned about than that. Absolutely. Right um, I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. The, the defense is the big thing. And other than that, I mean, I'm not super concerned, you know? Yeah. To me, it's really just the points in the paint. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I never really noticed the free throws being a lack of an issue for the Clippers up until like 
everyone started talking about it, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And now it's just every single post game. It's like, oh, well, what do you think about the number of free throws you got? What do you think about the number of free throws you got? And it's kind of overwhelming now in terms of like, oh, they only shot seven free throws today. Or like, oh, they only shot nine free throws today. Um, and I know that at the start of the season, Ty Lue kept talking about how we're not necessarily attacking the basket to score we're attacking the basket to collapse the defense and then kick out to our three-point shooters and i think that's fine like they don't necessarily need to score a bunch of points in the paint but i do think that you know when we're talking about raising that volume of three-pointers part of it is just they haven't been attacking the paint as much Mm -hmm. like you look at these possessions where the clippers create threes and they're creating good threes but they're mostly just because of movement around the perimeter it's not because they're generating any pressure towards the rim and i don't know how exactly to track that because i don't have like the fancy synergy device that like gives you like paint touches or whatever but um there definitely feels like there's less energy going towards the rim um and every so often like you'll see a game where it seems like the clippers are deliberately trying to course correct and it's like Mm -hmm. all of their first 12 possessions feature like some sort of action going towards the rim and then it sort of dissipates throughout the rest of the game but that's sort of where i lie because i do believe that the clippers are a good enough jump shooting team to like weather the storm of like any three-point drought you know because they just have so many good shooters that like if a couple guys don't have it going like let's just bring in Marcus Morris or let's just bring in you know Reggie or even Luke Kennard can come in for a few minutes because he's like straight cash from three but I I just think that they're making it harder on themselves by having to rely on these jumpers because they don't generate easy baskets right like they don't get to the line they don't take a lot of shots at the rim and a lot of that's because of personnel right like we've mentioned Serge Ibaka is not a very good finisher around the rim right um like Reggie Jackson for all of his gifts, I don't think it's a particularly good finisher in the half court around the rim, right? Like he's a guy who wants space out around the court. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Batum, his is just not a, he's not super crafty around the rim these days. You know, he's more of a pop guy and that's fine. Like he brings what he brings on the offense. There's definitely like a, the way this roster has been built, it was to take more jumpers than shots at the rim. But I do think that there has to be like, just even if it like, goes against their tendencies as basketball players, they have to create more pressure in the paint because it's just so hard to win without that. Like we think about the great jump shooting teams, you know, that have won titles, like the Cavs had a bunch of excellent three-point shooters, right? But they also had Kyrie Irving who could get in the lane whenever he wanted. And they also have freaking LeBron James who could get in the lane whenever he wanted. If you think about the Golden State team, it's like the reason why the three-point shooting was so deadly is because it created all that space for them to get into the lane for like Steph and Draymond and those guys to score in the paint. And I think one of the problems with the Houston team that it never got, you know, all the way was that the way they created threes was not really because they were scoring in the paint first, right? It was an exclusively three-point heavy offense. And at its best, you know, like when Russell Westbrook was on the team a little bit, um, they created some pressure in the paint and then he got hurt and that sort of dissipated. But I think there has to be more of a complement between how much offense the Clippers are generating from beyond the arc versus how much they're generating right at the rim. And that's a balance. I would like to see them tilt a little bit more inside for mm-hmm. the second half of the season. I'm with you. And, and, you know, I know that guys like Kawhi and PJ like to do most of their work in the mid range and outside, but it's not like those guys are, I mean, they're, they're some of the best finishers inside in, in the NBA. Like Kawhi is fantastic at the rim. Paul George, when he's aggressive and getting going down there, is, is great. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't like putting things on officials, and I don't think that's really been a huge issue. Um, but I do wonder if, because Kawhi and PG, especially, I think have been a little bit more outspoken about the lack of calls they've gotten this season. Um, even Kawhi, I think, has been a little bit more um, demonstrative toward the refs about like the calls he's not getting and that kind of thing this season. Um, I wonder if that has discouraged them at all from attacking mm-hmm. and, and relying more on the jump shot, but um, I don't want to put too much on that because I think they'd still attack regardless. Um, but yeah, I think the pain attacks has definitely been an issue. And I think that's, that's more of a structural thing, like you were saying and, and alluding to there. Um, and to that point, I think if they were going to make a trade or pick up someone in the buyout market here soon, um, what I would like that to be is probably a higher end role player that, is more aggressive and is more athletic and is someone that could um, be someone that they can rely on for those things. I don't know who that player is or what it would take to get them. That's kind of the issue here, but um, ideally that's the player I think you'd want to add to this team. Yeah. If I look at the Clippers and I see like one 
place where they might be a little deficient. I don't, I don't think it's the ball handler or center thing. I, I think that's wildly overblown, sure. but um, it's something that didn't actually quite occur to me until I was talking to somebody else about it. They're not like super athletic. Like Kawhi is a great athlete and Paul George is a great athlete, but like the rest of the role players don't have a lot of bounce other than Terrence. Um, yeah. And like, you just want a guy and, and I kind of correlate that with like not creating a lot of pressure on the rim because there are super crafty finishers. And mostly the guys who attack the paint are ones who are just incredibly capable of like elevating and finishing at the basket. Right. And the Clippers don't really have that other than their right. two main guys who again, operate just everywhere else on the court. So I would like for them to add somebody who is just a little bit, again, for lack of a better word, bouncier. And that's why I think, I mean, the Glenn Robinson, the third thing is kind of interesting to me because mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he's a solid enough, like decision maker to hang in a playoff rotation. Like there is a reason why he couldn't even crack the Sacramento Kings rotation. Like, I think that mm-hmm. is something that we have to address because like, that should not be a hard rotation to crack. Like I watch a right. lot of the Sacramento Kings. They literally do not have a backup wing and Glenn Robinson couldn't be their backup wing, but he's a former dunk contest champion. Like the guy obviously can get up. And I think just having some sort of vertical threat might not be such a bad thing on the Clippers offense, especially if you're just like trotting out a guy as a 15th man or something, you know, like just, a break glass in case of emergency sort of situation. That's kind of the type of player I'd like to see them get where I know Glenn's on a great three point shooter. The Clippers have enough of those. Like mm-hmm. I trust that any lineup they put together is going to have enough shooting. Even if you add in another guy who might not necessarily be a great three point shooter, like you could just play him in surge lineups and all of a sudden, like you've got four out anyway, and it's not a huge deal. So that's kind of the archetype. I hope they're going for like, even like a, I don't know, like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson guy who hasn't been. Yeah, um, I would love that. He is not even on the NBA roster right now, if I'm not mistaken. Like, he's just got a lot of bounce and like, the ability to attack the glass and, you know, put pressure there. So that's sort of where I'm leaning. Like a wing who is athletic and just adds a different dimension than what the Clippers already have. Because I feel like there's a tendency to just you know, be like, okay, let's just get another guy who we can put in our small lineup, like another switchy, you know, three-point shooting guy. And like, that's great. I just think Mm -hmm. the Clippers have enough of those. And I want to see something maybe a little different. Yeah. They need like a pat-pat, but for dunks, right? Like you said, like, you know, the emergency guy just just gets a pain attacks. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. And like, like, I like the idea of of Lynn Robinson III. Like he's someone, like you said, that is athletic, get there. Um, The concern about the Kings thing is definitely legit. Um, Rondé Hollis Jefferson has been someone that I've seen people talking about for a while. And, um, I think it's weird that he's not on the roster right now, because as far as I know, he's, he's pretty strong defensively. And I know he's not, you know, known for his offense, but if that's not something you need, then, you know, a lot of guys could use, a lot of teams could use like a defensive minded wing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but someone like that, someone that's a little more athletic, someone that gets the ball up and, and can, um, attack the paint and kind of get that thing going. Um, whoever that may be you know, would be the perfect addition to this team. Yeah. And the one thing is I I kind of worry that if the Clippers get a defense first guy, he's just not going to crack the rotation because Mm -hmm. Ty Lue has historically been like when the cards are down, you know, like when the chips are down, like let's get more offense on the court, right? Like we've seen this five out Marcus Morris at the five lineup a lot down the stretch of games. And Ty keeps saying that it's because it's very switchable and they like what it gives them defensively the defensive numbers on that lineup suck. Yeah. They're really, really bad. Yeah. And I, I understand the theory, obviously, of them being able to snuff out like any sort of pick and roll action with their switches. I get that. Again, it worked against Utah, which is not nothing, right? Like that's a very good team who is completely neutralized, I think, by what the Clippers were able to do defensively. But on the whole, like that's a lineup that you put on the floor because it's a menace to guard right? Like every single one of those players other than Kawhi Leonard is shooting 40% on threes. And are you going to leave Kawhi Leonard open? No, you're not. Like, and do you want to switch a tiny little guard on Kawhi Leonard? Absolutely not. So it's, it's a problem I think for defenses and that the offensive numbers on the lineup are are great. You know, they're doing really well. It's just, they can't freaking stop like cardboard cutout on the other end. So that's my only concern. If like the the Clippers were to go into like, you know, the Rondé Hollis Jefferson type um, 
player for 15 guys, he just wouldn't see the light of day because Tyloo likes guys who can score. And I mean, I don't, I don't begrudge him. It's worked out pretty well for him over his career. Like the Clippers obviously a really good offense. There's a method to this madness, but that's kind of where I land on the, the whole roster issue is just, I'm not sure the Clippers are going to add somebody who they don't, they don't think is going to be like a meaningful addition to their offense. Right. But anyway, uh, was there anything else you wanted to add? Just uh, fun um, facts did, about the Clippers you want to share? <laughs> I did want to ask you a quick question. Um, because the Clippers are in fourth right now, I, I don't think it's an issue for what it's worth. Um, but I think it's been made to be a little bit of an issue. Like, oh, they're in fourth place. It should be higher than that. You know, regardless of how competitive the West is this season, let's just forget about that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what is like your level of concern with this team right now as far as like, where it stands, how it looks at in the playoffs, um, their outlook. Like, like, where are you at there? All right. So I started the season thinking that the Clippers were one of the two best teams in the mm-hmm. West with the Lakers. And I have not really changed my opinion about that, regardless okay. of where the standings are. And what's good for the Clippers is that I think they match up very well with the Lakers. And the other team that has sort of come up out of the woodwork, you know, among that morass of other teams in the West is Utah. And I think the Clippers match up very well against Utah. So even though they are behind those two teams in the standings, which I don't think is altogether surprising because again, like I put the Lakers on that same level at the start of the season, um, their existence, I don't think is very threatening to the Clippers Mm -hmm. just because their style of play doesn't pose a lot of challenges to what the Clippers want to do. Now a team like Phoenix, I think presents a little bit of concern now, the Clippers, they absolutely spanked Phoenix the first time they played, right? They went up 31 points, gave up a lot of that lead, but that's bound to happen when you go up by that much. Like, it's just really hard to sustain those kinds of leads for an entire game. But I think that is an interesting matchup for the Clippers, and I'm really looking forward to those two games during the second half of the season because, like we mentioned earlier, pick and roll defense, real problem for the Clippers. Um, uh Devin Booker, Chris Paul, both excellent pick and roll operators. They got a lot of shooting. They've got guys who you can actually put on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George defensively and like give you a reasonable cause for concern. Like Mikael Bridges, uh, Jay Crowder, those are guys who are going to make life difficult for Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, So that's the only thing that really has mildly raised my concern level about the Clippers is that there is this other team that seems to be better equipped to beat them. Um, and I don't think the Phoenix is better than Utah or the Lakers by any stretch of the imagination. I just think that they, what they do presents more problems for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. So if, I mean, the way the standings are currently situated, like they wouldn't even have to face them until the Western Conference Finals. If they got the Western Conference Finals, like whoopty freaking do for the Clippers, right? So I'm not saying that I'm concerned about it. I'm just, there is a new opponent that I was not expecting that could make life a little bit more difficult. I'm with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... A lot of the concerns we've seen in the first half, I think, largely have been overblown, um, especially with the team needs and that kind of stuff. Like you mentioned, the need of a point guard or like uh, a ball handler, whatever that might be. I'm not at all worried about that. I've completely right? washed that away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think, you know, once you get into the playoffs and, and once, um, you know, you're going to run into those better teams more consistently, um, I-, I am thinking a little bit probably ahead and probably too much because like we said, there's not the team right now isn't complete, like as we've seen it. Right. Um, But, but teams like Phoenix where I worry about them a little bit looking ahead of those teams, just because it's not the Lakers, it's not the jazz or whatever it may be. Um, And I worry about them being caught off guard, but there's also the schematic. And like you said, with with Phoenix being such a good team at at doing the things the Clippers are not well-equipped to handle. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about that, but I think overall where this team is at right now, like I'm not any lower on the Clippers than I was to begin the season. Um, if anything, I think I'm a little bit higher just because the offense has been so good and it looks so sustainable at this point. The defense is a major concern. I think it's, it's going to shore up a little bit, but uh, I do want to see that get fixed. But um, overall, I think any concerns that you know people have on this team right now and where it's at, um, I just, I don't know if I'd put too much stock into it just because of, like I said, like this team isn't complete right now. We don't know um, how they're going to look in, in a few weeks or a few months from now. And um, all they've said all season too, is that it's a work in progress. So 
I don't think, you know, judging what this team has done so far and, and taking such like a, a micro lens to some of these things is, is, you know, the right move when they've said time and time again, like, this is not who we're going to be. And a little bit later from now, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's totally fair. I think it's also a lot more fun to take a micro look at all these things. Yeah, which definitely. Is why we did. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But there are still 34 games to be played, which is a lot. I think um, we often think of the all-star break as like this two thirds mark of the season where it's mm-hmm. sort of like just a sprint into the playoffs afterwards. And that's not the case this year. There's a lot of basketball to be played. Um, and the Clippers could even catch the number one seed in the West. Like that's a reasonable possibility. I don't think it's going to happen just because um, Utah seems to care more about the regular season than the Clippers do. Uh, but there's a lot that could still happen. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like three different playoff teams were in the West by the time the standings finished, you know? So again, much left to happen. Uh, the Clippers start their second half of the season against Golden State at home on Thursday. I know you usually give predictions on your own site, but any that you care to share right now, Karen? For the Golden State game or second yeah. half as a whole? Golden, Golden State. State. Yeah. Um, I think they win. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hope Steph Curry doesn't keep his hot hand going because yeah. he's looked terrifying over the weekend. Um, yeah, I think they'll come out with a sense of urgency since the um, what they finished the first half on a three-game losing streak, right? Yep. I mean, that's... After Paul George called the last game a must-win and then was unable to play because he got dizzy, which dizzy. is right. It's tough. That's a tough yeah. look, PG. I, I try to be, yeah. you know, measured in my PG takes because he takes a lot of flack, but uh, not, not a great look. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I think they'll use that to their advantage. I mean, yeah, that, that's all I have to say about that. How about you? I'm just looking forward to it. I mean, Golden State is a tremendously fun team to watch. I think they mm-hmm. will get the Clippers' attention, especially because of the way the last game they played went, you know, where the Clippers blew a big lead in uh, Golden State. So, yeah, it, as if they didn't have enough reason to want to win this game. You know, they're coming off a losing streak. They're coming off a break. They're, you know, facing Steph Curry, who is once again the darling of the NBA media, right? Like, there's just a lot of reasons to want to win this game, and I think they're going to approach it with that level of seriousness. But, hey, you know. I could be entirely wrong and there's going to be a late scratch and Reggie Jackson's going to have to start. And oh, he's been great in starts. I, I really enjoy watching Reggie Jackson. I do too. I think Reggie's fantastic. I think he's far and away my favorite post game interview. Yeah. He's great. It's like such a great person to talk to, like so much respect for like mm-hmm. who we are and what we do. And like, just like he calls each person by name, you know, like, I love that. But then yeah. on the floor too, like he takes himself so seriously. And like, I think the team just really enjoys having him there, you know? Absolutely. Well, this has been so much fun having you on, Garrett. Um, Make sure that you all follow Garrett's work covering the Clippers at allclippers.com. And I will link to your Twitter profile in the show notes. Thank you for joining. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week. And if we're not, please get on my case. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 